Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Galatians chapter 2, we're on a verse-by-verse -verse journey through the book of Acts. And uh, we've learned that the book of Acts, written by Luke, is the story of the church founded by Christ, delegated by him to continue the mission that he began. And it continues today. On Tuesday, we celebrate Reformation Day. I know it's Halloween, but it actually means a holy evening. That's what Halloween means. It's the evening before the day the Catholic Church honors all the saints. All Saints Day is November 1st. And on All Saints Day, we're going to honor Jesus by having a night of worship in this room, so you don't want to miss that. Um, anyway, Martin Luther started the Reformation by protesting the selling of the forgiveness of sins. That's basically it, bottom line, that people were believing they were paying for the forgiveness of sins. They were paying people's way out of purgatory to be able to go into heaven. They were selling God's blessing. We have that today. A lot of times you see it happening on religious television telethons. Not all of them. But certain telethons are selling God's blessing. You know, the Day of Atonement's coming. It's Yom Kippur. Angels are fixing to get their assignment. And so if you want an angel assigned to you, get your blessing in today. Call those phones right now. Before it's too late is what is implied. That's the selling of God's blessing. Now, God blesses giving. Who You sow, you will reap what you sow. But when you put a price tag on God's blessing, you know, the next thousand dollars you're going to get. A, you know, one time, I, and I've seen this same preacher more than once. I'm sure it's a rebroadcast. A new anointing for $250. And somebody... Somebody called in, 
and pledged $2,500 because they wanted a new anointing times 10. So they thought, it's a God's thing, a new anointing times 10 for $2,500. Martin Luther would roll over in his grave. Don't be duped by that. If you have been, call them and ask for forgiveness and back out of your pledge. Because God's not going to bless that. If he blesses that, then he's affirming false teaching. It's not true. With that being said, our offering boxes are at the door every Sunday. (laughs) We pass the plate for special occasions, but the church is supported by giving. I'm not denouncing giving. I'm denouncing putting a price tag on God's blessings... Where, you know, you, don't you want your kids saved? Better give in this offering today. It's like, what? Jesus died to save your kids. Amen? We're blessed already to be a blessing. All right. So, um, back to the text. We have arrived at Acts 15 when the early church has come to some controversy. They experienced persecution, trying to stop the spreading of the gospel. Now they're experiencing internal conflict. And that is some of the Jewish believers believe that the Gentile believers have to start keeping the law of Moses. The women have to keep kosher kitchens and the men have to be circumcised. Otherwise, they're not saved. They came out of the original church in Jerusalem so the, the lead Gentile church in Antioch of what is now known Syria sent Paul and Barnabas to go to Jerusalem to deal with this problem. And what we saw dramatized for us a while ago by the uh, New International Bible Society's production on the book of Acts was a dramatization of the ending of that meeting when they wrote a letter telling the Gentile believers, the people that have been troubling you were not authorized by us to do this. If you will abstain from fornication, things offered to idols, strangled animals, strangled meats, and blood, you do these, you do well. Otherwise, don't worry about the law of Moses. Now, does that mean that Gentile Christians can live lawless lives? No. Christ had told his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples and baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe everything He commanded. And in His ministry, He distinguished Himself from Moses. Moses said this, but I say that. So His command, there's about 70 of them. They deal with our hearts, forgiving our enemies, loving those who despitefully use us, praying for those who are persecuting us, forgiving Uh, walking in sexual purity, things like that is what he taught, what he commanded. So they were being taught these things. This was the apostles' doctrine. The, The teaching of the leaders of the church were the things that Christ had taught them. So in addition to that, they highlighted sexual immorality, abstaining from that, and then added meats that are offered to idols, don't eat those, strangle meats, and don't drink blood. That's kind of a painless sacrifice for a Gentile to abide by to please the Jewish people, to honor the Jews, who are the roots of our faith, right? We're saved by the faith of Abraham, are we not? The promise made to Abraham that he would be given a seed through whom the nations of the world would be blessed is Jesus. Christ came, as 
child of Abraham. And so we're blessed by that. So we covered that already for two Sundays, but today I wanted to look at Galatians 2 because this is Paul's take on what happened in Acts 15 as well as what happened later when he had to confront classism in the church. Galatians 2 verse 1, let's go ahead and look at the last couple verses, last three verses of chapter 1. He has talked about how he's been saved. God's chosen him from his mother's womb, gave him a ministry to Gentiles. And uh, after he'd been a believer for three years, verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remain with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Verse 20, now concerning the things which I write to you indeed, Before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria. He went back to Damascus, and then he had to escape and went into Cilicia to Tarsus, which was actually his hometown. And he was there for a while till Barnabas went and got him and brought him back to Antioch of Syria. I was unknown by by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only Here's what they were hearing, quote, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, unquote. Verse 24, and they glorified God in me. Then after 14 years, here's Acts 15, chapter 2, verse 1, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took also Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So we read this part of the story in Acts 15 where they have a public meeting. Paul and Barnabas report on what God is doing amongst the Gentiles, just like missionaries do. They come through here. They give a report on what God is doing in the land where they're serving. We had that here last week with Susanna Lowe from Croatia. This is a tradition from the very beginning of the church. And so there, there were people in the crowd say, hey, but they have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Then there was a private meeting away from the crowd with the leaders of the church. Okay? And uh, kind of like at a family reunion, if your children are out of order, the mom and dad have got to get together to have a meeting before going out to deal with the kids. So the leaders of the church came together and had a meeting. Now, the thing Acts 15 did not share is Paul and Barnabas had Titus with them. A Greek, a Gentile believer was with them. So they weren't only telling what God was doing, they were showing, here's a replica of what God has done. This young leader is going to be a pastor. He's going to, he, later on, he wound up overseeing all the churches on the island of Crete, and Paul wrote him a letter of instruction named Titus. So this happened, yet not even Titus, who was with me, verse 3, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, why is he reviewing this story? Well, these are the days before telegraphs, telegrams, snail mail, Pony Express, email, internet, and social media. The the people that had left Jerusalem to go to Antioch to cause this problem 
had traveled 400 miles and they just continued going, visiting communities, troubling the churches that Paul had planted. This letter is written to the churches in Galatia, a plural amount of congregations that Paul and Barnabas had planted in Acts 13 and 14. It's a story of the planting of these churches. They're still getting troubled by these guys. Either the guys hadn't gotten word or they just did not accept the authority of James, the brother of Jesus. You know, Moses trumps everybody kind of deal. So it was still a problem. Now, we know there's an enemy of our souls with his minions. They're not very creative. Their greatest strength is persistence, relentlessness. If something shook you up last week, they'll bring it up again next week. And the truth is, whatever gave you victory the last time you were attacked by evil will give you victory the next time you're attacked by evil. The temptation, though, is to throw up your hands and think, oh, I thought I won the victory, and here's the problem again. I guess I didn't get delivered, or I guess I didn't overcome. No, you did overcome. This is just a new battle. Be just as persistent with the same weapon. And the weapon in this case is the gospel. Christ died for us, fulfilled the law for us, and told us how to live. And Colossians 2, he says, the commandments, that is, the handwritten ordinances that were against us, were nailed to his cross. This is a scroll of all 613 commands in phrase form. You want to see them? Come on up and look. There's even some folders out there. For the sake of historical reference, you can look at them. There's some... some um, Trifold 11 by 17 is out there on the round table. Pick one up when you go so you can see what Christ has redeemed us from. It's a good thing. And so the gospel still applies. The letter the apostles wrote still applied in this situation, even though there were people that were not abiding by it. So that's why Paul is retelling this story. Not even Titus, verse 3, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. We didn't give these guys a time of day that the truth of the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, might continue with you. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, that is the non-Jew, the Gentile, had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the Jews, the circumcised, also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James... And Cephas, that's Peter's Aramaic name, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. They approved of our ministry. That we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager 
to do. In fact, Paul and Barnabas had already made a trip to Jerusalem earlier, taking relief for the poor from the church in Antioch. Verse 11, now when Peter had come to Antioch, so after Acts 15, there was this, this trip to Antioch that Peter made that we don't read about in Acts. When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. And here's what happened. Here's why he had to rebuke him in front of folks. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those of the circumcision. So he would eat with the common folks. But then when his brothers came from Jerusalem, suddenly he wanted to sit at the cool kids' table. Suddenly, he wanted to be on the inside with those who kept kosher. We had a kid in a youth group years ago, very friendly to kids here. But he would tell them, okay, now at school, when I'm with the cool kids, I don't know you. This is that same kind of thing. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. I remember hearing a story of a pastor in Indianapolis, Indiana, who was on his way to lunch, walking the streets of Indianapolis with some other pastors of other churches. They're going to enjoy some good fellowship together. And a mentally impaired sister came up to them and yelled at her pastor, Hi, pastor, how you doing? <laughs> so good to see you. I just love you. <clears throat> Rather than being embarrassed, pretending he didn't know her, he embraced her. Oh, love you, sister. God bless you. And she walked away, and the other pastors looked at him and snickered. <laughs> Is that one of your typical members? <laughs> he said, yes, apparently she didn't feel welcome at your place. So if you're one of those that likes to sit at the cool kids' table, this sermon is kind of a rebuke. But when I saw, verse 14, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, because Jesus set us free from all that stuff, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, so he outed them. Oh, hey, hey, all you guys that are impressed by his Jewishness, he wasn't acting this way when you all weren't here. Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law... No flesh shall be justified. So with Jews, we are not justified by keeping all those laws. We're justified by Jesus, all right? The laws don't justify you anyway. They condemn sin. Jesus justifies sinners. So the law reveals who's a sinner, but Jesus justifies them. So if we're going to live under the law, it creates a goofed up gospel. But if... 
Verse 17, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. That's why he nailed it to the cross. So it was out of the way to redeem us. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. So to go back under the law, Hebrews 6 says there's no more sacrifice for you if you go back to that stuff. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Literally, the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's the faithfulness of the Son of God that redeems us. Not our faithfulness. His faithfulness for us redeems us. In fact, the faith we have comes from Him. Saving faith is from God. The fruit of the Spirit is from God. The Spirit has fruit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, temperance, faith. One of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of faith. But saving faith is a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we are saved by the faith of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus. And so our faith in Jesus is, is kind of like a dad who gives his kids a gift to give their mom. It's really from him through them. It's from him through us. We have the faith of Jesus that he's given us so that we can be believers. We couldn't believe without his help, amen? Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So, how is this relevant today? There are Judaizers in the land today. I don't have anything against beards. I'd have a bigger one if I... if. That's true. But if it would be trainable, okay? But there's young men on YouTube, they have YouTube channels with gigantic beards to show how they are keeping the law of Moses and they are attempting to goof up the gospel. They've been misled and they're misleading people. It's still happening today. So these books, thank God, are in the Bible for us today to keep us on the straight and narrow. Why would you want to go under bondage to something that convicts you? So... Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us today in such a way that our lives are changed. Amen. The text I want to zero in on is verse 11 through 15. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before men came from James, that's James, the brother of Jesus in Jerusalem, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas, even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Here's a cartoon of what happened. 
What you having there, Pete? Looks good. Ham and Swiss, terrific. Oh, there's some guys from Jerusalem just walked in. Uh, I mean, I'm having pastrami. What was Peter thinking? It was he in Acts 15 who made this statement. Why do you test God by putting a yoke of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Why are you guys demanding that they keep the law? We can't even bear it. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. It was he who God used to lay hands on the filthy Samaritans to see them filled with the Holy Spirit. It was he on the rooftop of um, Simon the Tanner in Joppa that received the revelation from God, do not call common what God has cleansed. It was he who was preaching in the house of a Gentile in Caesarea named Cornelius when God filled Gentiles with the Holy Spirit. It was he that God used. How could he fall into this? How can this happen? Can we say it together, how? how? Well, I suggest to you that it's, it's a cultural thing. While it may not relate to us, some part of it relates to us. It's a form of classism, casteism, elitism, separateness, segregationalism, denominationalism, a form of pride, a form of not wanting to be in disfavor with people whose theology is off. I deal with this in my own family. They're rather elitist, and I have to speak when they are in error. But I choose my battles. There's times I just leave the room. I do not want to be part of something that's erroneous. Today I'm going to bring it home by speaking on the subject, beware of racism, ethnic differences, tribalism, whatever you want to call it, cultural conflict. Jesus said in the last days that nation would rise against nation, and the word he used there was ethnos, which means more than borders with governments. It means ethnic group against ethnic group, and it's happening all over our nation, even today, there's conflict going on. As believers, we cannot be part of that. We cannot be choosing sides. We are on Jesus' side, amen, and the side of the Bible. Beware of racism. I'm going to share 15 things that's evil about racism. The sin disrespects God's image. Genesis 1 says, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. It resents God's blessing on people of other ethnicities or tribes or groups. When God created man in his image, he blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply and subdue it. Jesus said to rejoice when you see other people blessed. This iniquity evades the great commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all, can we say all? All the ethnoses, all the ethnicities. They're to do it. And yet, this was so inbred in his followers, it took years and acts of God for it to actually begin to start taking place. Who knows, we need God's help. It rebels against Christ's commands. 
He said to make disciples of all the nations and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We referred to this earlier. But to be able to teach something, you've got to be living it, right? And what did Christ say? Love everyone. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Pray for your persecutors. Bless your enemies, whether they're real or perceived. We are to be a blessing to everybody. This evil ignores the great commandment. When Christ was asked what the great command was, he said to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. If you do not love other ethnicities like you love your own, you're ignoring what Jesus said was the great commandment. This error is a form of self-righteousness. The Pharisee, Jesus said, stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. If you have an us and them approach to life, you need to repent. The Bible says that self-righteousness is as filthy rags. And that's not talking about rags you wipe your hands on when you work on the car. That's talking about rags you use because there's no toilet paper. Nasty! This sinful trait questions the love of God. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. Tell somebody, everybody. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever, whosoever surely meaneth me, surely meaneth me. You remember that song? Nobody does. Well, he so loved the world. So racism questions that love. It disobeys Christ's new commandment. Some some people don't want to obey the great commandment because they don't love themselves. Well, love your neighbors, you love yourself. I don't love myself yet, so I'm not going to love my neighbor. Well, Christ circumvented that argument when he gave the new command. And John 13, 34, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This monkey is on all of our backs. We are to love others, all of us, as Christ loved. And what did he do? He loved people that wouldn't love him. So it's great when it's a two-way street, but that's not an excuse. If you're not getting love back, give it out anyway. That's the love of Jesus. This wickedness violates our identification. This is how people know that we're believers. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So what's our sign of life? Our bodies is our heartbeat. The church, it's our love for one another a heart beating for others. This wickedness violates our identification. Such evil disregards grace for us all. Remember Peter's revelation? Through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. The grace that saves us saves a person I can't stand. God loves me just as much as he loves my enemy. Real or perceived. This sin speaks out against God's creation. Paul said in Acts 17, 
that God has made from one blood every nation of people who dwell on all the face of the earth. What's the thing in common all races have is our blood. It's all red. And if it's the same blood type, you can be helped if you need a transfusion. This sinfulness makes our love hypocritical. Let love be without hypocrisy. Romans 12, 9. Notice the words let and the word be is in italics. It's added there for the sake of understanding. Literally, this is what Paul wrote. Love without hypocrisy. Love not just for show, but love for go. Love that's real. Love for real. It rejects our ministry of reconciliation. We've been given this ministry. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So Christ didn't come to impute our trespasses to us. He came to impute his righteousness to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel, amen? Can I get an amen? While we were yet wicked, Christ died for us to impute to us righteousness. The law imputed unrighteousness. It revealed unrighteousness that was already there. But Christ imputes righteousness. As was shared last Sunday, some of us rejoice in the gospel. Yes, the law has been nailed there for me. Meanwhile, in our hearts are lists of things, records of wrongs that we hold against others that we need to be allowed to be nailed to the cross with Jesus. Grudges, things we hold against people that Jesus died to pay for, to set us free from. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Racism is way out of step with God's plan. Who knows we're going somewhere with this Jesus thing? Where are we heading? We're going to heaven. And in heaven, John saw Jesus be worshipped and told, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So all peoples are included in this thing. People been redeemed to God. In Revelation 7, 9, John writes, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. Revelation 14, he writes, I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel, to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Tell somebody, everybody. I have this in my office. A friend painted this and made prints and gave us one of them. It's Christ, whose hair is white like wool. Many crowns are on his head, riding a white horse, his garments are dipped in blood. There's a sword on his thigh, followed by 
nations of redeemed people from every tribe, nation, and tongue riding white horses. This, whether it's literal or symbolic, is what is happening. It's where we're heading. It's God's plan, and it's time to get in step with God. Amen? This troubling malady, yes, it's a malady, it's a disease that we've got to get over, isn't aligned with honoring the name of Jesus in unity with all peoples and languages. God has highly exalted him, Philippians 2, 9, and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's all of creation. And every tongue confess. That's every language. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Cristo es el Señor. Pardon my Spanish. Jesu Christ is Lord. It's Swahili. Yeshua. Yeshia HaMashiach is Lord. Racism keeps us from walking in unity with those who are going to do this. Let's pray. Lord, I look forward to that day where we're heading, where we worship you with every tribe and every nation and every tongue and every people singing hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. But Lord, between now and then, I pray that we would be instruments of your peace, that your reconciliation, Lord, when we hear racism, that we either get away from it or we speak out the truth as related to the gospel of Jesus. May we be willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. In Jesus' name, help us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves and wiser than the darkness that is in this world. Set us free in Jesus' name. It's a song of the redeemed rising from the African plain, the song of the forgiven drowning out the Amazon rain. I love those lyrics. The song of Asian believers filled with God's holy fire. It's every tribe, every tongue, every nation, a love song born with a grateful choir. All of children sing glory, glory, hallelujah, you reign. It's all of children singing glory, glory, hallelujah, you reign. All of
ain't a whole lot of difference. Turn the camera around. Now this, if you look at it like this, here's what we see when we look at our hands. We see the inside. And when you see our hands, you see what? The outside. But today I want you to learn to look at and see us the way we see us. Everybody up here, when they look at the inside of their hands, this, this tribe, everybody up here, just look at the inside of your head. It's the same tribe. It's the same tribe. Same Jesus. Same Father. Same blood. Same love. Same death. Same cross. Same resurrection. Same heavenly power. Same Jesus.
Oh.